I wanted to talk wrestling with you guys. I really did. I wanted to talk like some fun stuff. I wanted to talk about matches. I wanted to talk about what I saw and what I didn't see and things that catch my eye coming up here around the Columbus area locally and other exciting things. But you know what? I haven't felt this way in a while and I feel uh, completely deflated as far as talking wrestling because honestly, this is one of the few times where I can't even really make anything up and it's, it's, it's just not fun. So, um, nevertheless, just because it's not fun, doesn't mean it's not interesting, worthwhile, or has an impact on the world of professional wrestling. So we're going to go ahead and just go with it. It's me. It's me, the big old CBC, Steve Castellanovo, kicking it with you on the first day of August. That's right. We are getting into the home stretch now, month eight. We are getting close to the end of the year as far as the calendar goes, as far as what to look forward to. We've got three weeks until SummerSlam. We've got other things going on in the pro wrestling world that you should probably be aware of, if I'm not mistaken. New Japan should be having the World Tag League or something like that very soon. I'm going to double check that because I don't want to be completely ignorant of it and give you ignorant information. I know what you're saying. Well, how's that different from any other day? Yeah, well, that's true. But you know it. You love it anyway. That's why you keep coming back here Sundays at 5 o'clock live on Facebook or on all my other social media services to enjoy the Heel and Face Podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. So thanks for joining me again. Once again, it's me, Steve C, kicking it with you. Looking as only I can look. And I'm in my Ric Flair t-shirt today because my Heel and Face Podcast t-shirt is in the wash. So there's only other two ways that I could uh, rectify the situation, and you too. I can either continually wash my t-shirt every week which i'm sure the quality is 100 percent, so it isn't like it'll fade or run or it'll get ruined in the wash but the other thing i could do if i really wanted to is i could just go to prowrestlingtees.com and i could go under the heel turn wrestling banner and i could buy whatever t-shirt i wanted because if i did that then i'd have just more than one t-shirt to wear i mean that's like straight logic i mean it's not steiner math logic but it's pretty doggone close to uh, good, solid logic. Just go to ProWrestlingTees.com backslash Heel Turn Wrestling and you'll find our store. And if you go there, you can find our amazing t-shirts. You can find Billy Alexander's Franchise Takes 5 podcast t-shirt. You can go down to uh, Blogger and Meme God Extraordinaire Alcoholic Adams t-shirt. You can rep the whole brand, the mothership, Heel Turn Wrestling, which, by the way, we just hit... 101,000 followers. Now we got to get over the 100,000 like department and then hopefully we'll be in business for sure. But if you want to have the flyest, dopest, freshest looking t-shirt from Heel Turn Wrestling, then you might as well just peep out the Heel and Face podcast t-shirt. Either way, you can't go wrong. Events are opening up. A lot of independent shows around you and around this central Ohio area are opening up. You know you want to flex this t-shirt. 
all your friends are doing it. It'll make you feel good. You can go and you can check out Heel Turn Wrestling's bevy of fantastic apparel to rock at your next independent wrestling show. Or if you just somehow sneak on to WWE TV with it, that'd be cool too. Anyway, check me out on all my social media websites. I'm on Minds. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Locals. And if you can't catch the video, well, then you can catch the audio, which I almost immediately upload every Saturday or every Sunday. Sorry. Today is Sunday. To all your favorite podcast streaming services. So whatever you do, man, do it with style and do it with us. I'm telling you, though, as psyched and as excited as I am to rep the brand and be here talking wrestling with you guys, as I said in the open there, as I said on the Facebook title page of the podcast, we have to talk about the business of wrestling and it's getting really ugly. It's getting really bad out there for the two quote unquote major wrestling promotions in North America. Let's put it that way. I don't think AEW is worldwide. They're trying, but I don't think AEW is quite worldwide as much as they like to think they are yet. And um, it's starting from a really hard place. This news came out completely out of left field. And I mean, knowing what we know about mental illness and how we're having more of an appreciation and a respect for people who do suffer mental illness and knowing how the WWE has their start stop pushes for some reason, they refuse to do, uh, you know, they refuse to um, uh, settle on one person. And uh, as I mentioned on my Twitter page, the ongoing feud between the McMahons and the Lanza slash Rotunda family continues. The, WWE Universe, professional wrestling in general, was just absolutely gobsmacked, absolutely destroyed and devastated by the news that the WWE released Bray Wyatt, real name Wyndham Rotunda, on, it thought it was Friday, could have been Friday or Saturday morning. I think this, the news broke Saturday. And to put this, I guess, into some type of context, there's a lot of talk about what exactly it was, the reasoning behind it. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes there really isn't a reason. But I jumped the gun. A lot of people jumped the gun on what they thought the reason was. We're just going to try to put a little bit of perspective, a little bit of context on it. Um, the first thing that you could say is, well... They were going to let him go in the first place, but because he was suffering mental illness, and that probably means that there was something behind that anyway, but since he was suffering mental illness, they wanted to clear him, not just physically, but emotionally, to come back before they did this to him. They just didn't want someone who was in the middle of a Great Depression or something like that to probably do something to themselves, and that's 
that's a cold calculated move, but you know, this is the WWE, so count on that happening. So you think about the terms that he was just about ready to come back. All accounts say that he was less than a month away from coming back to WWE, probably making an appearance at SummerSlam. And someone posted on their Instagram a picture of him at like the Piggly Wiggly or whatever, and he looked like he lost even more weight. Now, was he losing more weight because he was continuing to follow good health habits of working out and exercise, diet and all that? Uh, or is it possibly because he lost all that weight because uh, of his, some his depression? Who knows? But he probably looked probably as close to the smallest he's ever been in his life. He looked like he was probably, and he was already down to what, 270, 260? He was probably out down to 240. His legs were very, um, very skinny in the picture and that's usually the first to go in he wasn't a very big trunk guy anyway if you look at him obviously his body type uh he was more shoulders and torso it's probably why um you know he was good as i believe he played guard at troy so you know being kind of short and stocky and big up front uh, as long as you can keep your feet moving quickly as a guard in football, you're good. Like left tackles have a totally different body style. Most left tackles have bigger legs and bigger torsos and long arms. So this is probably the reason why he was a standout guard at Troy. And the fact that he can go and, and whatnot, um, you know, made him a great athlete for professional wrestling. Um, who knows? Maybe he was too smart for his own good. Maybe he was too creative. Maybe... Uh, you know, he fell victim to a lot of these crazy stop-start pushes because uh, Vince McMahon and whoever else was in charge just didn't get him and didn't want to get him, which is more close to the case that it might be. So he was all set to come back, and he was all set to make his reappearance in the uh, WWE. And they decided to let him go, and they claimed, once again, just like with Braun Strowman, that he was a salary casualty Bray Wyatt sold the most merchandise over the past three years than anyone currently or not currently on the roster and that includes John Cena and that includes Roman Reigns he was one of the most exciting uh, biggest draws people uh, wanted to see when they teased the Firefly Funhouse. There's a reason why every Firefly Funhouse was teased at the bottom of the hour and shown near the top of the hour or in the first quarter hour of either eight o'clock or nine o'clock. There was a reason for that. It's called ratings. People will tune in to see that. And he was killing it in those rating spots when the Firefly Funhouse came on. It's absolutely frustrating. It's disheartening. It's disgusting. And this is more proof that you cannot be creative and be in the WWE. It just doesn't happen. And as much as, you know, you can criticize John Moxley for wanting to be this vagabond wrestler um, who 
is just as happy hitting himself in the face with light tubes and shortening his career that way. You got to praise a guy like that. You got to praise guys who are willing to just get out. Um, and that doesn't say that, you know, Seth Rollins or Roman Reigns or anybody is bad. It just shows that, you know, you can't be creative. You can't really be a good wrestler. You just have to be a wrestler for Vince McMahon. And, you know, Vince McMahon in WWE is McDonald's. McDonald's isn't necessarily the worst, not necessarily the best, but they just make a lot of stuff. WWE is the same thing. Why do you see all these other creative, talented people not wanting to par be a part of WWE anymore? You know, why is it that Daniel Bryan didn't resign? I thought Daniel Bryan was a lifer. Nope. Because he wants to be creative and he loves the art of professional wrestling more than he loves WWE and who can blame him. So now he's gone. But getting back to Bray Wyatt, again, this is what they did to him. And I've gone on record on this podcast by commenting on that multiple times. This is the grind of WWE. This is the grind of having 80 writers, but one senile old man who is out of touch with what people like, stuck in 1985, telling you what's good and what's not good. They changed Bray Wyatt's gimmick probably four times. They reincarnated him different times. They never let anything stick and they never let anything work. And the one time they were even halfway willing to let something work, they killed it and retooled it and basically gave it to Alexa Bliss. Now, I agree with Mickey James. Through no fault of Alexa Bliss's, I'm not hating on her local girl done good here from Central Ohio. This That's not an indictment of her because, again, just like everybody else, she takes crap and turns it into... Sunday dinner. So she's just taking something she was given and running with it. And kudos for her. That's not her fault. And I know there were some idiots on Twitter thought they were cool enough to call out Alexa Bliss after she had a really painful, heartfelt goodbye to Bray Wyatt. And you know what's really funny? It seems like all of the people, the really talented people that she gets put with, you know, she seems to say goodbye to at some point for her own mental health. I mean, the minute, you know, maybe I'd be playing with fire and um, incurring the wrath of Uncle Jerry in legal or whatever. But honestly, if I was Alexa Bliss and I saw that every single one of the wrestlers that I worked with over the last couple of years are gone for being too creative, I don't know if I'd want to stick around either. I mean, it's six of one half dozen of the other. You don't want to get rid of a really good paying job in a bad economy. You don't want to really test the waters. And WWE is the only place that you've ever known. But at the same time, too, how can morale be high? Morale isn't high at all in WWE. There's reports coming out from different, lots of different places with the releasing of Bray Wyatt and the treating of Karrion Cross last week and all that is adding up and wrestlers just don't want to be there. And I don't blame them. 
I do not have the opportunity. I probably will never have the opportunity to go back to my employer, but I don't want to, even if I was offered the world. And I've said that before on this show. You'd have to offer me the world and more to go back to my employer. It's not happening. So why 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 be in WWE even? I don't even know if that's that's a it's not a landing spot for people anymore because this is what's going to happen to you. You try to grab the brass ring. You try four different ways. You have three different unique characters. You bring something yeah kind of silly and kind of out there, but fresh. I mean it's no different than a zombie mortician. So why not? But you keep bringing it back and stopping it. And there's really, and you wonder why people have uh, mental issues. People wonder why uh, these wrestlers um, feel like once they're out of WWE, they're, they're out of prison. And again, the, the thing is that he was supposed to be coming back this month and he didn't because they knew they were going to release him anyway. They just didn't want to say, oh, well, we'll release him. And then all of a sudden he locked himself in his bathroom and he's not coming out for three weeks. WWE is covering their tracks, not wanting to be the reason that someone had a mental break. That's why they didn't let they would have let him go way sooner. They just didn't want him to uh, be depressed about it. So the WWE is left and right becoming more and more and more and more corporate and less and less and less and less like the family business. And we'll talk about that later. That's the last segment. Because again, we're not going to talk about anything that happened in the ring because we have to talk about this stupidity. The WWE is becoming, um, you know, everything that Vince wants it to be which is a blessing and a curse at the same time. And what does that do to the competition? Does that drive the competition? Does it strive people to be better, have a better product, offer something different, offer a great alternative? Does that stoke the fires of the competition? No. It just allows for 50-year-old men going through midlife crisis to fill out their hidden fantasies. And if you think things are terrible in WWE, you might as well just go to New Japan. I mean, you might as well just leave the country or just be or just go to Ring of Honor or MLW. Don't bother. Don't bother because the alternative right now is not great. As now... A guy who even five years ago would have never seen a major promotion, let alone been on national television, is on national television fighting Chris Jericho. So Deathmatch King Nick F. Engage fought the painmaker Chris Jericho in a deathmatch amid controversy and loss of sponsorships. Okay, are we ready for this one? This ought to be good, right? In between all of the other LOL, AEW, uh, Falderall that was happening this week, they've refired the MJF Chris Jericho feud 
again, because they really don't have anything else better to do other than to stroke Chris Jericho's ego. And now MJF is putting Chris Jericho through the five labors of Jericho, like the seven labors of Hercules or some craziness. And uh, I don't know why they picked five, probably leading up to one of their pay-per-views, but one of them is fighting Deathmatch King Nick Gage from Murder, Death, Kill on national television. And from all accounts, it was exactly what it was supposed to be or exactly what people assumed it would be. It was a terrible garbage match with a guy who was and never was in professional wrestling taking advantage. It's like, it's, it's, it's like Ellsworth, honestly, like it's, but it's actually worse than that because at least with James Ellsworth, he was a jabroni who made the best of a situation. I mean, like at least, at least Colin Delaney can wrestle, right? Colin Delaney put on like 20, 30 pounds and was and, and wrestled and kept up with it and was actually seriously being considered by WWE to actually come back and compete as a cruiserweight in the cruiserweight division on 205 Live at some point. So we're not talking about someone who actually has wrestling skill and didn't shrink in the limelight. For all, for all James Ellsworth's obvious flaws and problems, he at least embraced the spotlight and he at least made the best of it. Now, should he be talking to uh, teenage girls or whatever on Snap while he was touring WWE? No. And he probably won't ever come back to WWE because of that. You know, was he Colin Delaney, right place, right time, and then never really... Uh, caught back on fire for WWE? Yes and no. But from everyone else, and I, and I am going by, because I really did try to watch this, but I just couldn't find the time to this week. For all intents and purposes, this match was clunky, was slow, Nick Gage was wrestling like he had never been in a ring before. He had no idea what he was doing, uh, even for a death match. You would think, okay, if it's a regular wrestling match and Nick Cage can't do it, then I would assume that that's the, the case. Because when's the last time Nick Cage actually wrestled a real wrestling match that didn't involve weapons, that it wasn't a death match, et cetera, et cetera. Honestly. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm, I'm making people mad by saying that, but it is the truth. It's obvious. When was the last time that Nick Gage wrestled an actual wrestling match without a gimmick attached? But, but, but okay, you thought, okay, so if it's a death match, then he would be a little more comfortable, at least have a lot of leeway. Like he would know where to be and what to do. Chris Jericho apparently not only called the whole match, but it was loud enough that you could hear it. I mean, I'm assuming Matthew Greg is going to have a field day putting this Botchamania together. You just show this match as his whole episode of Botchamania. Um, just terribly 
booked out, terribly spaced, no pace whatsoever. It was basically, which is what most death matches are. And again, you can get on me for it. But basically, most death matches are just, let's see how much crap we can hit each other with and who can bleed the most. And whoever bleeds the least is going over and wins. That's what it seems like most death matches are to me anyway. And I can't even say like, oh, back in the day when death matches were invented in Japan and I was watching Cactus Jack and blah, blah. No, I can't even say that because, again, Cactus Jack, Terry Funk were really good wrestlers. Leatherface was a good wrestler. Uh, now you had, um, again, I, his name escapes me, but then you also had like the head photojournalist became a fan favorite then he became a pro wrestler okay you had that guy you had a lot of garbage guys in japan getting their names out there to wrestle in death matches but you had enough good wrestlers i mean people are trying to compare nick gage to make foley nope don't do that foley was somewhat of an athlete and actually had wrestling skills actually was a good wrestler before he became known for death matches. And some people even tried to say, like some people are coming at Jim Cornette with, Oh, you booked new Jack. You're friends with new Jack. Uh, once again, new Jack was actually trained to be a professional wrestler. Now he didn't do a whole lot of serious training. He basically just kind of said, yeah, I know I'm not going to hit anybody really that hard. I'm not going to make, I'm not going to actually try to kill somebody until I do. But even New Jack had a sense of the business, and New Jack wasn't even really doing deathmatch wrestling until he got to ECW. It's not like Jim Cornette's going to give uh, uh, New Jack a staple gun in Smoky Mountain. New Jack was already catching a lot of heat from people in Smoky Mountain. To have a staple gun? Yeah, that wouldn't have worked. And New Jack still got over, and he still wrestled. So, um, sorry if I'm burying... Nick Gage a little bit. You'll probably never hear this podcast. Oh, well. I'm not worried about it. But I am worried about how this is going to affect AEW's sponsorship and their already fragile grip on the time slot. Yes, there is ratings to be had. Yes, AEW's ratings are really good. They're almost through the roof on Wednesday nights, and they probably could use a little bit of a boost on Friday nights, too. And I'm going to call a spade a spade. AEW's ratings, bro, stayed consistently good, despite the fact that they had the NBA playoffs, that they had all of these other events that they were switching around or leading into. They still did pretty good ratings, so people still did watch it. So it isn't like... It's 200,000 and we're floundering and what do we need to do? The ironic thing is they didn't have to bring in Nick Gage. They don't have to appeal to the lowest common denominator or something that's hot. Like I can see, I can hear, see, totally see Tony Khan staying up late, 3.30 in the morning, reading uh, dirt sheets reading like squared circle at Reddit, searching his Instagram, searching his Twitter, finding out like, oh, wait a minute. We've had Matt on the show. We signed Matt on the show and now Matt's going to go do GCW. 
Wow, so that's the biggest thing that's happening in GCW in a long time. Matt Cardona is going to fight Nick Gage. Well, you know what? I want to ride that wave too, and I want to bring in Nick Gage. A 40-something-year-old, never was, professional wrestler who figured out that he could get famous by beating people over the head with light tubes and falling into glass tables. I mean, okay, all right, okay, that's where we are. That's where we are now. And again, isn't so much it was a death match because you think that Nick Cage could have navigated around that, but it was just terribly planned out. There was no like synergy, no smoothness to it. Uh, it didn't look like a wrestling match. It looked like a guy stumbling out of a brawl, uh, a bar brawl, only to start fighting again in the parking lot. That's literally what this match from again i didn't watch this match and i don't generally report on things that i don't watch or comment on things that i don't watch because that's ignorant but i have enough sources and enough people that i know and trust on the internet who have watched this to tell me that this was this was really embarrassing and it should be embarrassing and it should be embarrassing for tnt not only did they have two main event matches where there was a lot of blood back to back in weeks but if you count Britt Baker's match, well, by the way, that match was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. That match was pretty good. But then you have um, all the other craziness going on, the blood and guts match, and Chris Jericho doing the uh, nest tee plunge. Look that reference up, kids. The nest tee plunge uh, under the cardboard and all that. And you've got... You've got some really sketchy main events, the things that are supposed to draw the fans to watch, right? And they're falling flat. So what's TNA going to do? Or sorry, not TNA. What's TNT going to do? Are they going to allow it to happen? Are they going to say, hey, guys, we're okay. We're all in with this. Pardon the pun, LOL. They can't be too long if they're going to lose sponsors. Because that's the other half of this that they didn't discuss. And in a wonderful example of serendipity, karma, kismet, God intervention, whatever, of all commercials to pop in at the picture-in-picture -picture was the Domino's commercial. That's right, kids. As... Nick Gage was tearing at Chris Jericho's forehead with a pizza cutter. They cut away to a Domino's commercial where a pizza cutter was being shown with its actual intention, not cutting people, cutting pizza. And in a wonderful com karmic cosmic show of irony, that commercial has started a blaze that now even the spokeswoman for Domino's has not only expressed concern about the level of violence surrounded by their product on what they were assured apparently as a TV 14 show is now making them as, uh, as I said right here, give, uh, they are now assessing our advertising presence on it going forward it being AEW, it being tnt so congratulations all the crazy stuff that you guys tony khan the young bucks 
Chris Jericho, all that stuff that's a bad idea that shouldn't be on mainstream television that you decided that was okay to put on mainstream television. At this point, you're not even going to have mainstream television because so many sponsors are going to pull out. Now, I learned a little bit in media. I learned a little bit with my media degree about how commercials are placed and when they are. And long story short, you can either buy commercials that are randomly placed for a very low fee or for a slightly higher fee, you can strategically get ad time. I mean, there's there's no coincidence that uh, late night ESPN, you're going to see a lot of male enhancement commercials. You're going to see more toy and fast food commercials during the day on basic cable because they're not just on uh, the kids channels on regular channels because you're going to appeal to moms staying at home about buying their children the new hot toy same is true you're going to see way more laundry detergent ads during the day and during the afternoon than you are any other time because again stereotype of most wives most women stay home to do the household chores so if this was one of those cheaper randomly generated tv ads then it was just a stroke of dumb luck and everybody's got to pay the consequences if domino's was specifically targeting the 18 to 35 crowd with their ad campaign and bought time specifically during AEW Dynamite to show this commercial, and it showed, well, let's put it this way. You're not going to have Domino's very much longer, and not just Domino's Pizza doing ads just for AEW. You're not going to have Domino's doing ads for any one of Turner Network stations, which means you're not going to have Domino's doing any ads for any um, Warner Brothers communications television stations, any cable companies or anything like that. So Chris Jericho fulfilling his third midlife crisis, trying to remind the world how tough he is, is jeopardizing an entire broadcast network's major advertising sponsor just so he can seem cool with the cool kids and get hacked in the face by a pro wrestler who doesn't deserve to be on national television. So good luck with that. I hope that works for them. I hope that, you know, they can uh, be happy with the decisions that they make. They probably will do it with a lot less money involved. So uh, well, what we're going to do is, again, we're going to take a quick break, catch up, catch my breath, drink of water, and then I'm going to lay out for you the entire conspiracy that I have developed, partially from other sources, but partially from my own, on why the WWE is acting the way it is why Vince McMahon is acting so uncharacteristically and why Vince McMahon is angling towards having the only monopoly of professional wrestling again in the entire planet. It's me, Steve Castellanovo here, 
on the Heel and Face podcast on Heel Turn Wrestling. Be back in a minute. All right, everybody. Well, we're back on the Heel and Face podcast brought to you by Heel Turn Wrestling. And speaking of Heel Turn Wrestling, guys, if you haven't done so, please do. Please check not only the Heel and Face podcast page on Facebook and all my other social media sites, but please check out Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316. HT Wrestling 316. We're at 101,000 followers. Now we need to be over 100,000 likes, and then we'll really be in business. This thing will really start to take off around the world and everywhere else. And don't just come for the great podcasts like the Heel and Face podcast, Billy Alexander and his podcast, Billy Alexander live posting from his promotion that's so amazing and catching fire, and most likely sending people to AEW, which that's been happening. But you can also check out uh, Pierce Austin's podcasts as well. You can check out all of the dank memes and the sick memes and the sickly dank and the dankly sick memes in the meme department. And you can also check out the boys at To The Turnbuckle. I'm so depressed about what's going on in pro wrestling these days that I'm not even going to say the To The Turnbuckle in Cameron Grimes style. I was going to tell you to go there and check them out. The boys at To The Turnbuckle, hosted by uh, Logan Loganity Morris. Produced by Jason Bruiser McCarthy and the man Travis Napper. So check it out. I'm sure that Jason McCarthy will have plenty to say. Bruiser will have plenty to say about what's going on in AEW right now. He is kind of an AEW mark and a Kenny Omega mark. So check those shows out. Check us all out at Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316 on Facebook. Again, Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316 on Facebook. Well, let's get to it. Let's just rip the, not the band-aid, let's just rip the gaping, oozing sore back open again. And let's talk about what's going on with WWE and why this is just not good. And we are really hitting a high and a low mark in the world of professional wrestling at the same time. Now, I know many of you are very enthused and jazzed about what's going on, and I understand that. I see that enthusiasm. I really am with you on it. I like your passion. Some of you out there are saying uh, things like, you know, WWE is doing really well and record profits, and AEW is really ramping it up with all of these superstars, and indie wrestling is better than it has been in a while and everything's so competitive this is the everything's opened up now this is the world of professional wrestling that we all as wrestling fans wanted and aspired to and i love your energy and i am with you to a degree but now that this is happening and my conspiracy theory that i finally fleshed out is finally coming true uh, we're just going to see the professional wrestling landscape change again, and it might be for the worse. So recently at the quarterly WWE shareholder group call, someone asked Vince McMahon if competition with AEW was good for the business and if he had any general thoughts. So here is what Vince McMahon said. 
Well, it certainly is not a situation where rising tides, because that was when Ted Turner was coming after us with all of Time Warner's assets as well. That it was a different situation. He goes on to say that AEW is where they are. I don't really know what their plans are. All I know is what our plans are, end quote. Then they release one of their most popular, most merch-driven characters, Bray Wyatt, literally two days after Vince McMahon makes that statement. So where is the WWE right now? The WWE is positioning itself, as we all know, as being financially, fiscally responsible enough to in fact sell the entire thing to Comcast, NBC, Universal. This is no secret. This is the worst kept secret since Triple H and Stephanie were married, et cetera, et cetera. I don't really predict this is a good thing going on. Well, of course, for me, monopolies are never a good thing. And most people, I would assume, monopolies are never a good thing. Very rarely are monopolies ever a good thing. This is not going to bode well. It's going to once again shift the entire wrestling slash sports entertainment industry again, and probably not in a positive way. So Vince has now admitted that AEW is a thing and it's out there. And he's got the basic principle right Vince McMahon has seen this movie before. He's read this book before. He knows exactly what's going to happen. And it's not even like it's some big player out of Washington. I mean, it's not like the owners of Defy all of a sudden got infused with Paul Allen and Bill Gates' money to rival Vince in a wrestling federation. I mean, this is this is a southern money mark pumping money into a company in order to fulfill their own personal wrestling fantasy land and try to take Vince McMahon on at the same time. So he's got the right idea, yes. This is a Southerner over their heads with a product they don't fully understand. Whereas with Vince McMahon, professional wrestling, sports entertainment is in his DNA. So he has every right to feel cocky. He has every right to feel arrogant about it. He has every right to blow off AEW. And I understand completely that a lot of the critics are out there like Vince Russo, of all people, who just recently came out and reiterated his his conspiracy theory that AEW and WWE were actually working together in order for Vince McMahon to be able to finally make this sale to Comcast. This whole move is exactly out of Vince McMahon's buddies, Donald Trump's playbook. And I hate being political. And I know recently, as far as politically, even culturally, uh, socially, 
the McMahons have tried to distance themselves from the Trumps and done a pretty good job. I mean, he can't completely do it. Like, uh, it's not, it's not like, you know, once, once, uh, Linda resigned from the small business association, the job that she was working for Trump for, um, you know, it isn't like that they, they still hung their Trump flags in the front yard. You know, they, for, for a lot of Vince McMahon and the McMahon family's faults, they do tend to be more sympathetic towards people. I mean, if you want to call it lip service or not, they're still very sensitive to uh, racial issues. Hell, they got rid of uh, Drake Wirtz. So that should show you that they have some type of commitment towards racial and social justice issues. Uh, from outward stances, they want to be inclusive. They've been outspoken with supporting LGBTQIA plus initiatives. They're against bullying, et cetera, et cetera. They've given, for a, for a company like WWE, they've given significant pushes to the populations that you would call fragile in this country. But they've also made so many cold, calculated, unforgiving moves as far as money goes that we are left to scratch our heads. The constant streaming of released talent, which is reflected in a lot of the low morale currently, the people who are remaining in WWE either have rationalized it in their head that this is where they've always wanted to be and they want to continue to be there or are basically WWE lifers, Roman Reigns, Alexa Bliss, etc., who wouldn't want to go anywhere else. To be honest, I mean, why would Roman Reigns want to go anywhere? Why would Alexa Bliss want to go anywhere? Why would any of the WWE lifers want to go anywhere? And that's, of course, I don't want to get off on a side tangent, but that's also, of course, why you have a capital wrestling center. This is why you have a performance center, an evaluation center, so you can take the people that you want and keep them in there. You know, like Omos is not going to test the waters if he gets let go. You know, so for the WWE to make these conspicuous, auspicious moves to streamline the product. And then basically, the Vince McMahon was caught monologuing because he went on to say that in no certain words, AEW can have all the talent that, they, that we get rid of. They can get all the talent that they want. So Vince McMahon is doing nothing more than his buddy Donald Trump did in the 70s and 80s, not to get too political. I'm not talking politics. I'm talking about how Donald Trump acquired his wealth. Go look it up, kids. It's not hard to look up. All you have to do is just Google the first time Donald Trump was mentioned in the New York Times, and you will find an article from 1973 where... A young upstart real estate investor named Donald J. Trump already had his first lawsuit underway because he was being sued by the uh, Housing Protection Act 
the Equal Housing uh, uh, Act uh, people, DPA, whatever it's called, on behalf of the residents who were displaced from his properties because he was buying out properties that no one else wanted to manage anymore, raising the rates for everybody, kicking everybody out so he could take all of that land and develop it into Trump Casino, Trump Towers, et cetera, et cetera. It's not some hidden conspiratorial secret. That is how Donald Trump made his money. And whatever he couldn't make a profit on, he basically defaulted on and then took advantage of the government. Again, I'm not trying to make it political here. I could care less uh, to some point. I'm just letting you know. I'm not, I'm not making a moral judgment either way. I'm just letting you know that Donald Trump made his money by either squeezing people out, buying property at much, 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 much less their worth, getting rid of all the people that live there, completely tearing it down and building it up into uh, his property. Or taking property, defaulting on it, and then recouping the money through the bankruptcy process, which again, it's all legal. It's not like he can't do it. He just, that's the formula. Those are the two formulas that he followed to amass his wealth. And Vince McMahon is doing the exact same thing. He is trying to show investors and he is trying to show NBC that he can play ball and that they're getting very good value out of their product by streamlining it. Why do you think Nick Khan was brought in? Nick, Nick Khan has extensive, extensive knowledge of the inner workings of the entertainment field of television. He knows what these TV networks are looking for and what they want. Nick Khan, heck, Nick Khan still lives in LA. He's one of the few uh, WWE employees at that level that doesn't live in Connecticut. Nick Khan knows exactly what the uh, networks need. He knows exactly what the television people need. And what they probably need is for WWE to stop being so bloated, to streamline everything, and to prove that it can be financially solvent. What? I don't know. Six quarters in a row, eight quarters in a row, whatever it takes. NBC wants to see WWE turn a profit so they would acquire them. You're not going to buy something necessarily that's failing unless you sabotage it yourself, which is what Vince McMahon is doing, which is what his buddy Trump did. Sabotaging the own pro their own product just to say, hey, we tried everything we could and we made our business on our end look profitable. So we got rid of a ton of talent that we were overpaying let them go free. And now look, we are a bare bones roster that's only doing this, this, and this. We have these people we're paying for and so on. Like us, buy us. And then what does that do to the market? Well, you're flooding the market. Just like when anybody else dumps a bunch of stock, you know, Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street, dumping all those penny stocks on insider trading that he got. Boom, boom, boom. You flood the market, you devalue everything, right? But the funny part is, Tony Khan's not smart enough to know that this is what's happening. Like an old school comic book villain monologuing to the hero everything he's going to do. Vince McMahon came out and basically said, yeah, this is what they're doing. If they want to pay these guys, let them pay them. 
he's not even being secretive about it. He's not even being coy about it. He's not even subtle at all about it. He's just saying it's what's going to happen. Like behind closed doors, he's friends with these guys like Mark Henry and the Big Show. And and to Vince McMahon's credit, Vince has facilitated a lot of wrestlers getting paid what the wrestler thought they deserved. I mean, through all of the thick and thin that he went through with Bret Hart, he helped Bret Hart negotiate his contract with WCW, of all people. Bret Hart's told the same thing to Hulk Hogan. If you can get more money there, pal, go ahead. You know, he probably felt the most betrayed by Hogan, but it was what it was when it happened. You know, like he knew that guys like Steve Austin were never going to leave. He knew guys like The Undertaker or Shawn Michaels were never going to leave. But for a lot of guys, especially if he had a relationship with them, he was going to look out for them, too, because it helps everybody. So, yeah, I'll let if John Moxley's being a cantankerous jerk backstage and you know, and, and sitting in the corner and trying to channel Raven and be sad all the time and be depressed because his creative juices are being hamstrung. Go make six million dollars. John Moxley's the highest paid AEW wrestler. Even even the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes don't make as much money as he does. They're like making three million or whatever. John Moxley's making six million dollars. Go down there. Go make your money. Flood the market with a lot of talent because that's what's happened. And when you flood any market with any commodity, guess what happens to that commodity? Goes down. The overall value goes down. Now, of course, we as wrestling fans, we don't think of our favorite wrestlers as commodities. Of course not. We have emotional connections, emotional attachments to them. We love our guys. We cheer for the guys we like and we boo the guys we don't. And it's not just on a kayfabe level. It's on a genuine level of, hey, I think this person really is talented. They give me whatever I need as far as watching professional wrestling. Or, hey, you know what? I followed this guy. Uh, like I've said before on this podcast and, and, and other to other people, you know, I like to follow wrestlers kind of like major league, minor league baseball players getting to the major leagues. I like seeing guys that I've been watching for a while get some talent, get some, get the rub, get the shine at the major league level. So I like seeing guys on the independent circuit grow and get better and, and move up a level. You flood the market with the talent you completely make everybody unspecial you make everybody average or you 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 make it as though not everybody can work i mean look who is being of all people and if i was him i would just leave and go to mexico or i would just quit and go back to teaching but of all people that's getting left out in the uh sauce of Hiring Punk and Brian. They poor Adam Page. What does he have to do? Like he probably regrets even talking to the Young Bucks at this point. He could have stayed in Japan with Bullet Club, or he could have stayed in Ring of Honor and probably been two or three time Ring of Honor World Champion by now. But he hitched his wagon to the wrong horses. And now what does he have to show for it? Yet again being de-pushed for two guys that haven't Well, one guy who hasn't been in a professional wrestling ring in almost 20 years and another guy who's uh, on the downslope of his career and doesn't necessarily need to be in in AEW, but yeah, here we are. Adam Page is a victim of what's going to happen, which is there's going to be too many wrestlers on not enough shows 
And now you're going to start to see the product be devalued and put down. Now, very quickly, before I end the show, this is where my conspiracy kicks in. Vince McMahon is doing this intentionally and he wants us to know it. Why does he want us to know it? Because he, I think deep down, even he knows that he can no longer handle WWE. And because it's his baby and it's his creation and he is the one who brought it life, he's also the one that can destroy it. He doesn't want to destroy it because he wants to leave his kids and his grandkids with something that they kind of already have anyway. But notice how you would think at least Shane would be taking over most of the operations because that's kind of what he wanted anyway. But Stephanie, as we all know, is totally capable and able to take up the task. But isn't it funny how as much as he likes Triple H and Stephanie, how he still is not given them complete reign. And as a matter of fact, with all these messages being sent about NXT from Vince himself, I don't even think he has confidence in Triple H personally either. In a perfect world by now, Triple H and Stephanie would be co-CEOs of WWE and probably be running this thing and making it uh, a billion-dollar company. But that's not what Vince wants right now because Vince wants to sell this company. He's got this perfect package. He's got this perfectly baked cake, and now it's time to sell it. And he can now die saying, I took something where I was in credit card debt and I bought it reluctantly from my dad, practically underneath his nose, and I turned it into one of the most successful businesses of all time in in the entire world, globally. I, I built WWE wrestling into a global phenomenon. He probably has that much of an ego that he that that's the reason why he's even holding on at this point, even though he's 75 and still uh, – He's still on the uh, leg machine uh, pushing up thousands of pounds, be that as it may. Side note, Vince McMahon is trying to deflate and streamline the WWE so it will be more attractive to investors to buy it. And another way he's going to do it is, again, he has seen this movie before. He has read this book before. He is allowing a Southern money mark to blow all of their money on wrestlers that he doesn't want in the company anymore. He doesn't want to cut a paycheck to. So that AEW will go the same route as TNA-ish. I'll, I'll parse that in a minute. He wants to go the same route as wcw and he wants them to basically uh, peter out to the point where AEW is not even a factor anymore. And then he can buy the asset off of the Khan family for as much as he bought WCW for. That's what's in his mind. That's what his plan is. That's what he's thinking about doing. No, that, that's, he, he, I, there's no way to not interpret that as what's happening. Vince McMahon is planning to buy AEW within three years so then he can flip it sell off the assets, buy it, liquidate it, and then say to whatever other investor, hey, I've I bought up as many assets as I can, and I've uh, dealt with them, and, and I've assumed all this debt, and now I've cleaned it up and all that, and here you go. Here it is. Here's my cake, my cake of WWE. 
He did it with WCW. He bought WCW for what one million dollars? Everything. We're talking. We're talking like equipment. We're talking merch. We're talking everything. Bought the whole thing because at that time, Turner Network slash WB slash AOL, whatever you was being called at the time, did not want anything to do with the product. So that was an easy grab for Vince. And he was even able to spin that in a way where he could make money, a couple bucks off for a couple of years. I know TNA isn't dead. I know Don't Kill Me. Impact is still around. Yes, I get it. Impact's actually doing really well. But for the most part, Vince killed TNA by doing the same thing. All right. You want to go work for for, uh, Dixie Carter? Go ahead. See you, Kev. See Scott. See you, Mick. See you, Rick. Go make your money. And soon enough, sure enough, the uh, TNA reincarnation was insolvent. She sold the whole thing, got rid of it to Anthem, and who quickly uh, partnered with Scott Demore and all that stuff. And now Impact is its own thing. Mostly divorced from TNA, although they're bringing back weird people. But TNA... Impact run shows. They're successful. They're still around. They're just not anywhere near factors they thought they were, nor could have been 20 years ago. So Vince didn't run Impact out of business, but he ran Dixie Carter and killed that competition immediately, like with the quickness. So Vince is applying the exact same principles to AEW. And if he doesn't outright buy the brand or outright buy the company AEW completely from Tony Khan and the 15 EVPs they have, he'll make it so untenable to be a part that they have no choice but to at least fold or disband or at least sell some of their product to Vince McMahon that he can just flip show that he took the loss on, get the money, get the bankruptcy money out of it, and then cut AEW dead in the water. This is nothing more than a move for Vince McMahon to position himself to be able to sell his company to Comcast slash NBC Universal and kill AEW in the process. I know I'm right. I know I'm right. I'm not wrong about this. And Tony Khan better be careful because he is not making it hard for Vince McMahon to do that. Well, I told you guys that I wanted to talk wrestling today, but we're just talking about wrestling and it's just, it makes me upset. I have a headache. I really wish that I could find something else good about the actual what's going on in wrestling as far as uh, matches and things coming up. I know that there's some shows that I'm going to try to catch locally coming up soon. Uh, There's one tonight, actually one that's over now that I just learned about um, a little while ago that if I had I known, I would have just basically uh, postponed this episode for another time. But be that as it may, here we are. Uh, Next week, uh, I'll find something to get into. I don't know if it's going to be WWE or AEW, but I know it's going to be something. I'll find something to look forward to for the world of professional wrestling. But until then, 
I'm just going to do my thing and concentrate on bringing you the best possible show that talks about news, information, commentary, and talking about the actual matches themselves. That's right. The Heel and Face podcast on Heel Turn Wrestling. Hopefully it'll be better next week, people. Uh, that's that's it for me today. Thanks for joining me here live. Don't forget to come to all of my different social medias all over the internet, not just Facebook, but Twitter, Minds, Locals, everywhere else. And you could also follow Heel Turn Wrestling at HT Wrestling 316 on Facebook. Thanks a lot, everybody. Really appreciate you being here. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, try to have some fun with wrestling this week. And as always, peace.